if you could have done differently, you would have. You would have. You did not have the strength or the tools or the words or the perseverance or the patience or whatever it was. You might have thought about it. You might have known about it, but you were unable at that time to do that. So you wouldn't blame, you know, a two-year-old for not being able to to tie their shoes when they don't have the fine motor skills yet. So why are we putting so much blame on ourselves for making these decisions that in hindsight we see were terrible? Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring match Welcome to the show, everyone. Decoding Success, top 1% globally ranked podcast in the world. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, and we're kicking this episode off with gratitude. So shout out to you for showing up for yourself as today we are diving into some groundbreaking work that every single person needs. We are programmed with default behaviors, but it's important for us to shift out of those because they don't serve our greater purpose. So that is exactly what we're diving into today shifting out of our default behaviors and more so becoming aware of them. And what may they look like? Well, perfectionism, control, numbing out, putting people before ourselves, people-pleasing, isolating, hiding, avoiding, the list goes on. So today, we are going to be shifting out of those behaviors, bringing an awareness to them, and learning how to cope better with our incredible guest that's joining us, our friend Andrea Owen. She brings the best energy, and in short, keynote speaker, life coach, author, and hellraiser, she is creating a global impact and empowerment with her books being translated into 19 languages and available in 23 countries. She's helping high-achieving individuals maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. That is exactly what we're diving in here today. I'm really excited to have each and every one of you joining us. Make sure that you are sharing this episode. This episode is totally free, but if there was a fee, it would be to make sure you are sharing it with the people in your life, whether that be on social media. If you're doing so on social, make sure that you tag Andrea and myself so that we could reshare it and show you love back, whether it be in your text messages, emails, word of mouth, wherever. Make sure that you are shouting this from the rooftop because it could change someone's life. And without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Andrea Owen. Andrea, welcome to Decoding Success. We're really excited to have you. I have dove into your work after being referred by Britt Frank, who is absolutely Mm -hmm. incredible as well. Super excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm excited to, to dive in. Let's do this. Now, I've been opening the show by asking a question that I probably should be asking more often. And we kind of already did, but I'm curious, like, how are you? Like, what's going in the life? What's going on in the life of Andrea? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I'm good. I'm I'm kind of like always good. I just am one of those naturally like optimistic, happy people, which is annoying for some. And I'm actually doing a candida cleanse. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't. You got to tell me about that. Not really by choice. (laughs) (laughs) I've had these health issues for going on two years now, and we finally figured out that I have an autoimmune thing and Mm. we ran some more tests. I started seeing a functional medicine doctor and turns out I am like baking bread inside this body, like full Mm. of yeast. I have an overgrowth of yeast and which is causing my joints to hurt. And so I'm glad that we finally figured out what it is, what like what the root cause is. But now comes the cleanup and it's like all these supplements and this medication. So today's my first day. Day one. Yeah. Day one. Okay. (laughs) We're the 
Were the issues <laughs> why you decided to go sober or was that something else? No, I've been sober for 11 years. I decided to okay. get sober because mostly because my dad got sober when I was 18 and he was what is called a high functioning alcoholic. I mean, I thought everyone's dad drank 12 beers every night. Like my dad wasn't a drunk. Like I never saw him drunk. He just was quiet and was just drinking too much. And yeah. it was also the demise of my parents' relationship. And fast forward when I was 36 at the time, he'd been sober for a couple decades at that point. And I knew that my wine consumption was really in line with what was going on with my dad all those years prior. And I knew where I was headed. I also was well aware that alcoholism is a progressive thing. We don't get better as much as we might try. So I kind of knew that if I wanted to be successful, if I wanted to have a great marriage and be a great parent, I was going to have to get sober. I was yeah. not happy about it in the beginning. <laughs> Believe me, I liked drinking. <laughs> I was good yeah. at it. I mean, it's definitely a social thing. It's It could be fun. I mean, I'm right there with you. I'm just curious. I actually want to go backwards a little bit. When I asked you, how are you? You said, I'm good. Was that I'm good your conditioned response or was that what you really feel? Probably both. I'm really, I would say... 85% of the time, I'm transparent about how I really am. But if I had to show up to something like this, especially you and I, we don't know each other yet. And if I was having the crappiest day ever, I probably wouldn't lead with that. <laughs> I mean, I would probably reschedule, to be honest, if it was bad. But I truly can find, I would say 90% of the time, I can find the good in everything. And a little bit of it is masking and just, you know, professionalism. But for the most part, yeah, I'm just a happy person. How did you get to the point where you're able to realize when you're masking, when you're not? Because that's a powerful place to be. Yeah, it probably hasn't been but the last, I would say, five to 10 years really learning about my own socialization and conditioning as a woman. And, you know, like we're taught to make everyone else comfortable before it's like everyone else's comfort is, is more important than our own, generally speaking. And then also figuring out that I was, you're getting a diagnosis of ADHD and like understanding what the definition of masking really is. So it's been kind of like, am I masking or is this really how I, I'm 47, Matt. So it's like, it's been a long time that I've been this way. So it's kind of hard for me to decipher sometimes like, am I making all this up? And then I can like fall too deep into that rabbit hole. I don't know if you do that too, but just like overthink it. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. <laughs> and I, I mean, I want to just throw this out here for the sake of it. I was scrolling through your social and you posted that trendy video, teenage dirtbag song, yeah. whatever. You just mentioned your age. You honestly are drinking from the fountain of youth and I'm not oh saying that's brownie you. points. <laughs> I, no, I, I genuinely mean it. I'm like, holy shit. Like she literally looks the same as, you know, the videos and photos you were sharing. It was really incredible. What's, yeah, what's the, the secret well, there? Yeah, I mean, I have great genetics. If you saw my mother, you'd be like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> my mom and also just really honestly, for anyone listening who really wants like the magic cream, I've tried all the expensive ones. Tretinoin. You get it from your dermatologist. It's prescribed for acne in teenagers. It's prescribed for like age spots and stuff. It just and it's really it insurance. I mean I think I pay twenty five bucks for a tube that lasts me like many months. That has been the best, honestly, is Tretinoin. Yeah, you look great. I love that. Thank this you. actually a perfect segue because <laughs> what I read about your experiences in life, specifically speaking about 2007, mm -hmm. that could make someone age tenfold. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like you, you've been through a lot. I just want to bring everyone up to speed. So was 2007 the year that 
really made you start pursuing the line of work that you're in right now? Yes. That was my rock bottom where I took like radical responsibility for my life. Yeah. So 2007, divorce, lies, mm -hmm. just a whole Conned, bunch of shit. Yeah. Pregnant, alone. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> it was the worst it's ever been. <sighs> so it, it just leads me to like, everyone has their own rock bottom moments. Yeah. What would you tell 2007 Andrea if you were speaking to her today? Like if I you were... I've never been asked that. That's such well, a good I'm, I'm glad I'm asking you that. Though. Yeah. Sure. I think I would tell her... Well, first and foremost, I would tell her like, it truly is all going to work out. Like it's not going to be easy, mm. but it truly is all going to work out. Because I was having that, the depths of despair is, am I just going to be plagued by a life of terrible relationships and, you know, be a single parent and, and is this how it's going to be for me forever? No, it's not. And also stay the course in terms of your own personal development, which I've done. Not that I haven't done that, but that's what I would encourage. So I'm going to be Andrea of 2007 to my okay. to the best of my ability. And I'm going to say, well, it's really hard for me to believe it's all going to work out when all of this shit is hitting the fan. Yeah. Patience is going to be your best virtue mm. during this time, which I mean, my 2007 self and my 2022 self knows that that's not one of my best or easily accessible attributes. Patience and lean on people that you trust and love. The mm. people that are reaching out to you saying, if you need me, please let me know. Believe them and yeah. and go towards them. How do you develop patience and live day to day versus or hour to hour, minute to minute? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, when shit hits the fan, it hits the fan. And it's like, you just want to get out of the fucking storm, you know? Yeah, I think, well, I heard a funny quote that's like one of those obvious ones about shit hitting the fan. And someone said like, if shit's hitting the fan, turn the fan off. So it's like, Ooh. find what it is that is actually like causing the problem and the, cause you're always going to have shit. You know, like it's always going to happen. But if there's a fan around, it's going to be pretty bad. And for me, it was about, and I, I will answer a question about patience, but for me, it was about really looking at my own stuff because it's so easy to blame everyone else, especially when we're in those rock bottom moments. Like, well, if my, my husband or wife hadn't done that or my partner this or my parents this or whatever it is, it's easy to point the finger. And I think for me, it was learning that balance of what is actually my responsibility, like my thing to fix, and also staying out of that self-loathing and self-blame. Like, this is all my fault. I'm broken. I'm terrible. So it's like finding that balance. And then to more specifically answer your question about patience, you know, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one because this isn't my favorite answer of myself, but I don't know how to be except totally honest. Doing it the other way, like not having as much patience, and being like overly excited for things to go faster, being impatient never works out. Mm. <laughs> it makes me feel so bad. So yeah, just, yeah. it's forcing myself to have patience. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm curious to learn what your process for forgiving the people that may have done you wrong in that during that period of time, like what did that look like for you? Because for you to have successful relationships today, whether that be with, you know, a life partner or whatever, like, you know, you kind of have to forgive. So what did that look like for you? It's come in layers. And I also want to mention this, like you said that Britt Frank connected us and she talks about forgiveness and basically says like, you don't have to forgive the other person. You just, you don't. In order to move forward and to heal, you don't. And forgiveness is one of those things because I have dove into that. Like, how do we forgive? And I've read books and listened to experts on it. And you kind of get some 
it's always kind of the same answer of if you can wish that person well, if you don't get, you know, triggered bad when you think of that person or see that person, then you, you know, may have gotten to the point of forgiving them. And there are some nuances within those answers, but for time was one of them. And I really mm. hate the advice of like time heals all wounds. I don't believe that's true. I think it helps. Agreed. Yeah. Like distance, definitely. I moved across the country. <laughs> I lived in San Diego. Now I'm in North Carolina. I'm like, I have to get away from just geographically. But also I think coming to the realization that those relationships were my biggest teachers. They were. And I don't regret spending the amount of time that I did with those particular partners. Cause I was with, I was with my first husband for 13 years from the age of 17 to 31. That's a long time. A very and I long hear time. a lot of people say like, Oh my gosh, I gave that person the best years of my life. I spent the entire decade of my twenties with that person. I don't regret it. I think that I don't regret loving him. I think, you know, he needed that love at the time and I needed to be the type of person to be in that relationship. I needed to go through everything that I needed to go through. I think rituals can also be really helpful. I've had burning ceremonies where I burned our wedding album. Mm. Um, I have kept some pictures. But I had so many. I mean, you were somebody for 13 years. You have a lot of pictures. So yeah, there, and this was back when we used to like print out the pictures. So I, you know, I burned it and just released him. And, you mm. know, I love the, the saying, I don't know who said it, but like, I release you with a full heart. And I mean, still sometimes I have to say that because I don't think that you can be with someone for that long and have that kind of intense relationship with someone and completely break off all emotional and any all connection. Yeah. I think that, it, you know, in some ways, part of him lives in my tissues. And the more I resisted that, the more angry I got about it, the worse I felt. And so when I just kind of surrendered, I got the word surrender tattooed on my arm in my own handwriting, actually, when my dad died in 2016. But because surrender has been like one of the hardest things for me to wrap my arms around in my own personal development journey. Like I want it to go on my itinerary. I want it to, to be on my schedule. I want it to work the way that I feel like is best and grief and healing laughs at all of that. And so mm. the surrendering to whatever comes, like if I randomly dream about him, I don't wake up angry. You know, I'm, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I wonder if something's going on in his life or if, you know, if my brain is still trying to heal some moments or whatever. So sure. it's a lot of surrendering. Do you think dreams have meaning? I do. I also don't really think that our dreams have to do with the people that we're dreaming about. I think it's what it represents. That's been helpful too. Cause I've dreamt about some people and I'm like, why am I having a dream that I'm married to Drew Carey? You know, like <laughs> I literally have dreamt that. That's like we so were legit funny. in love and I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah. Do you keep a dream journal by any chance? I used to. I don't anymore. Do you? I started. I'm just honestly not the best with stuff like that. I, I mean, okay. I, I lack discipline. Like I'll do it for a week and then I'll stop. But I really like to analyze my dreams. Because, yeah. You know, an ex will pop up, like you said, or, you know, you'll live like a wacky experience. The next thing you know, it comes true in real life three mm -hmm. months later. Or like you feel like you had some deja vu. That's why I ask if you feel like they have meaning because I really feel like dreams have meaning. I will say this though, about when we dream about our former partners, I do think that, because have you heard of EMDR? 
Yeah, I've done EMDR. I'm sure you have. Okay. So the whole, for people that don't know what it is, it's the theory is, is that when we, when we do EMDR, it's this process of therapy, like the rat eye movement that our brain is basically trying to file away memories because when we are triggered and when we have, you know, body experiences long after the fact, or when we dream about a former partner, the theory is that our brain is like, I don't know where to put this. (laughs) this file away in your brain and it still thinks it's happening in real time. So the point of EMDR is to kind of file it away. So I think that dreams in some way are that happening. It's like, oh, what do I do with this memory? Because I feel like it just happened yesterday when, you know, in my case, it happened like 20 years ago. So I think that sometimes when we dream about an ex, I look at it as like, okay, my brain is trying to heal this. I'm just going to let it. And and that feels so much better than like agonizing over it the next morning and like calling Absolutely. my best friend and being like, oh my God, I dreamt about him. What does that mean? Might not mean anything. Right. Right. I absolutely agree. I talked or asked you about forgiving others. I'm curious. Did you feel like you needed to forgive yourself? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. What did that look like? Uh, I don't know about you and I don't know if guys do this, but I did this and a lot of women that I've talked to who have been in a similar situation as me, when you stay in a relationship that you know in your gut is not good for you, that you know that this person is treating you terribly. You probably know you're suspicious this person is cheating on you, but they swear that they're not. But you're like, I kind of think that you are. When we stay year after year after year and then it finally explodes, the self-talk the self-blame, the, the self-talk of how could I have been so stupid? How could I have stayed in this relationship when I knew that it wasn't good for me? And so that, so I'm, I'm glad you asked that because the self-forgiveness, even just taking a step back from that, the compassion that I have had to have for myself and the grace that I've had to have for myself. I don't know if you can see this in the video. So I have a picture of my, that's my senior picture from 19, that picture was taken in 92. I graduated in 93. And I, the reason that I put it up there, it was in my dad's house. So when he passed away, I took it and put it there. The reason I put it there is because anytime I do some kind of healing, I look at that and kind of like give her a little salute because like, mm. that is the girl that I'm doing this for. Because like my inner teenage self, you know, people do a lot of inner child work. I had to do a lot of inner teenage stuff. I had so much angst that was built up. So I think I'm kind of going off on a tangent here because I'm so passionate about the topic of self-forgiveness. You're good. I'm listening. Yeah. Having grace for yourself for the terrible decisions that you've made. I take a lot away from the work of Dr. Gabor Mate and he, he talks a lot about addiction and trauma. Yeah, And his work on that particular topic has been profound and so helpful for me. Basically just a, if you could have done differently, you would have, Mm. you would have, you did not have the strength or the tools or the words or the perseverance or the patience or whatever it was. You might've thought about it. You might've known about it, but you were unable at that time to do that. So you wouldn't blame, you know, a two-year-old for not being able to tie their shoes when they don't have the fine motor skills yet. So why are we putting so much blame on ourselves for making these decisions that in hindsight we see were terrible? So it's been a long journey. I won't say that that was quick, but it's been one of the most profound lessons that I've worked on. Well, hindsight is always 2020, right? Always. Yeah, it's... 
I actually just wrote that down yesterday. I was like, fuck, that is just, it's so true. Cause you could look back and things look crystal clear and it's just like, uh -huh. I would have done this differently or that. But I, I definitely appreciate your perspective. I am curious to learn. You mentioned the relationships being your biggest teachers. What were mm -hmm. the top three things you learned from them? Always trust your intuition. Always that, trust that's your intuition. number one. My gut told me from the beginning not to marry my first husband. My gut told me to break really? up with him when I was 19. We, we started dating when I was 17. When I was 19, I had outgrown the relationship. My gut was like, it's probably time to move on. And I was like, mm, but he's so fun. <laughs> you know, it's like I made all these excuses and I stayed. Then my gut told me, don't marry him. And I married him anyway. My When I was on the very first date with a guy that ended up conning me out of thousands of dollars, first date, I was sitting across from him at the restaurant. My thought was like, this seems way too good to be true. Like something's off about him and I don't know what it is. Continue to date him anyway. So that was lesson number one of always trust your intuition. This is similar to that one, but when, you know that saying, I don't love this saying, I think it might've been a Dr. Maya Angelou quote and I love her, but the saying is when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. I don't think that that is necessarily true all the time. Like if someone messes up once, everybody screws up. Everybody fucks up. So it's like, okay, give people some grace. I would tweak that quote and say, when someone shows you who they are multiple times, girl, believe them. Like, <laughs> there it is. That's the other thing I walked away with. And also like, I just, I think that sometimes we settle for less than the bare minimum. And, you know, one of the things I've walked away with is looking back and again, hindsight, the socialization and conditioning I received as a girl and then a woman was the ultimate prize, like the ultimate sort of title of you are worthy, you are appreciated, you are loved, is to be able to find a husband, like mm -hmm. a man that loves me. Like when I get married and have children, this means that I have made it. This means that I am loved. And I was settling for these like mediocre men. <laughs> and like, no one ever told me like, hey, you could probably do better. I mean, I guess people did tell me that. That's actually not true. People did tell me that. But I thought that just getting married and having children part trumped who it was or how the relationship was. It was more important for me to be picked. And I have a 13 year old daughter now. And we have some conversations about that where I'm like, it's not. And, and especially like for probably, I would say younger millennials and, you know, the older end of the spectrum for Gen Z. I'm so glad there's a conversation now and not just for women, but for men too. It's like, sure. no, you, you need to pick someone who no relationship is easy. Like, but that you're going to work your things out with and just not settle for crumbs. Stop settling for crumbs. Agreed. I want to talk about the intuition piece. You talked about trusting your intuition. But the thing is that I've come to discover, at least through just my life experiences, reading and whatnot, is we stray away from our intuition because that's what we're taught in childhood. Mm -hmm. So what is your opinion in regards to being able to regain trust in your intuition, you know, versus when you were a kid and, you know, mom and dad might have said, hey, stop crying when you yeah. really wanted to cry and all of that. So like, how do you regain trust in your intuition? I, I want to pause there because you said something really important about, you know, in childhood, many times our intuition is put into question. I think especially people that grow up in chaotic homes or homes that 
there's stuff going on, but nobody wants to talk about it. That can really throw a wrench in trusting your intuition because it's like, sure. it's almost like you're being gaslit in some ways. Like you're, you're being told that your reality actually isn't what you see that it is. And for some people, you're literally told like, no, that's not going on. You're making stuff up. Like, oh, you have a wild imagination. Um, and for some people, it's just implied. So I definitely think if that is your experience, then therapy can be helpful in that way of just really having a therapist that you trust dig into your inner child stuff. And like, when did you feel safe? When did you not feel safe? Like, how old were you like that? All of that kind of work just to really kind of unpack it. And then what's been helpful for me is, is something that I'm that it's not my favorite, but truly is getting still and getting quiet. So it's the meditation. Mm -hmm. It's the being out in nature. It's going on walks without headphones in. It's being with my dog when I'm not thinking about other things or scrolling through my phone. It's like we have, we've really gone off the rails in terms of like always having to have something to occupy our time and our attention. And I think the more that we can practice not doing that, the better it is for exercising your intuition. Absolutely. Now, when it came to the not settling aspect in regards to what you learned from your relationships, it seems like society kind of painted the picture as to what you should do. And that's right. pretty much the premise of how this show was started, right? Because, you know, I've definitely been caught up in what success looks like on social media. You know, mm -hmm. when you you know, you need to have this type of car. You need to be going to these types of clubs, eating. You need at to get that blue check mark. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've definitely got caught up in that. How do you break free of that societal quote unquote norm or timeline per se? I think I did it the hard way. Like I yeah. got to the the place where I felt like success was and then had that feeling of, I call it thunk. Like it's that kind of disappointing sinking feeling of, is this it? Like, and, and this isn't to say I didn't celebrate the shit out of, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of books sold and, you know, books going to auction and 19 translations. Like those were beyond my wildest dreams, like beyond my definition of success. But even that, like you still have to work on your marriage. You still have kids that have their own problems that you have to deal with that you don't even know. Like you still have to go to therapy. I don't know what planet I was living on where I thought that that was going to be so gonna go away honestly Matt like I don't know but I, I think it's just real life I think sometimes when we think of success we think success also equals absence of pain absence mm. of you know having to like go through the trenches and then also we both grew up in America like I don't know about you, but I keep moving that damn goalpost. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's success. Like once I cross it off the list, I'm like, what's the next thing? Walking away from that and really looking at things as just goals instead of definitions of success, that has been hugely transformative. And it took two different instances of burnout for me to get to that place. So that's how I, I did it the hard way. How do you personally define success? You know, I was just talking to someone about that yesterday and I don't know if I've ever actually redefined it since I had my kind of like, you know, <laughs> burnout and kind of going down the drain. I think that when you, I'm just going to sort of think out loud. So I'm, I'm coming to this answer not having known it before you asked it. 
I feel like for success, and of course I can only speak from my own experience. I think that when you, even if you don't reach the thing that you want to, trying is honestly, I like cry when I see people go after things like, what is that show? The America's Got Talent, like yes. those types of shows, like stop it. Like get me a Kleenex right now. Like anybody that <laughs> steps out of their comfort zone, like can we just define that as success? I mean, I tried out for roller derby when I was 37 years old and I was terrified. Like I am not, I have some tattoos, but I'm not like heavily tattooed. And like, I felt like I didn't fit in and like, oh my gosh, these women have so much more skating experience than I do. And, but I knew that if I didn't do it, I was just going to get older and then mm. massively regret it and feel just ashamed that like, here I am, this person who started a business called Your Kick-Ass Life. And I didn't go after the thing that scared the hell out of me because I was scared. Like, that's just embarrassing. So like, that is my definition of success. Like going after the thing that scares you, even if you are not that talented, even if you did not get an MBA, like you start your own business, like that that is successful. Unfortunately, in a capitalistic <laughs> culture, we define it differently, but that's my definition. I love that. Now, what's your advice for someone listening to this to step into that fear? Right? Yeah. Like, how do you step into fear? Yeah, I have a whole keynote on this. Okay, pulls her sleeves up. The thing is, you know, and I define a lot of that coming from a place of through the lens of self-confidence. And still in this day and age, so many people think that we are either born with self-confidence or that we can, you know, learn about it in a book or listen on a podcast. And truly you gain self-confidence from mastery and experience and also understanding resilience and what that looks like in you. And so like previously, I would think about you know, trying out for roller derby and thinking, if I fail at this, which is likely, um, I won't be able to come back from it. I will be so humiliated. I will never try anything again. Or some people feel like they might die. Like that's yeah. literally how they yeah. feel. And so I understand that whole thing. However, like we need to get to a place where we understand that even if it doesn't work out, we will bounce back. It's going to take a minute and we're going to have to, you know, reach out to people and lick our wounds and all of those things. But like you will come back from it. And I can't even guarantee that you're going to be stronger for it, but you mm. will know that you didn't die. And I think just that knowledge can be incredibly empowering. And it's really true what people say of like, you only need 20 seconds of just like, I call it like delusional confidence of just like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if I'm going to fall on my face, but just 20 seconds and just go for it and see what happens. So is delusional confidence faking it till you make it? Like what is delusional confidence? I don't necessarily think it's faking it till you make it. I call delusional confidence. Like I had a lot of delusional confidence when I first started my business. So I started, I started blogging in 08. You were probably like in middle school then. Like I was <laughs> I just like more in high school. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I wasn't <laughs> that far off. I was like, this is fun. And then I started my business in 2010. There weren't a whole lot of female life coaches who had come mm. before me who were doing it. Like it was like Danielle Laporte, Marie Forleo had just started and like Gabrielle Bernstein had been out for like a couple of years. Like that was really it. So I say that because the advantage I have was that I didn't have any evidence of it not working out. I was like, this is going to be fun and I'm going to mm -hmm. figure it out. Like to me, there was no, it might fail. 
I had zero evidence of it. I had never even started a business before that had never failed. So I try to tap back into that sometimes when I, I've recently sort of pivoted and gone and pushed more into keynote speaking. And it's a whole kind of new arm of my business. And that was tricky because, you know, it's like I kind of had to start all over again with this new model. So I tapped into that delusional confidence of like, okay, what if I had no evidence at all that this could fail? What if like, and I don't mean like success at all costs, like not that, but just, just like the exhale of like, of course it's going to work out. I'm like, why wouldn't it? There's no reason that it wouldn't work out. Like you have no evidence that it, that it won't work out. Like, what does that even look like not working out? Like, of course it's going to work out. So I don't know if that's helpful for anyone listening, but like, that's been helpful for me. Delusional I confidence. I don't want to be the guy that's playing devil's advocate. I'm just, oh, stop. You, you can. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like, I feel like my brain isn't wired to. Yeah, talk it's like not that. for everyone. Yeah. Like, I just feel like I have the what if negative bias, like, on. Everybody and, does. Yeah. And mm -hmm. just to throw out there, like, that's changed from period to period. Like, what's going on in life definitely impacts that. Like, if you're on a winning streak, you're probably not thinking that, you know? It's easier. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's easier. So how do you quiet that? Like, what's your mm -hmm. advice to quiet that? That's a great question. Okay, so the the remedies for negative self-talk vary from person to person, depending on how your brain works and how you're wired. And I mean, you touched on the negativity bias. We all have it. We all tend to jump to, you know, worst case scenario, like sure. look at the what ifs. And I still even have to kind of reel myself back in. So the thing that I tell people all the time is the thing you have to master is knowing that you're in it. Like the self-awareness of it is key because you can go an entire day and not realize that you've been either beating yourself up or telling yourself that you can't do it or looking for all the evidence of why it won't work out because that's what the neural pathways in our brain are used to. Yeah. We don't even like notice it's happening. It's kind of like the air you breathe. Like we just don't notice. And so, and sometimes that can be like the hardest part. I'm not going to say like, it's super easy and just, and by hardest, I mean like painful because we re like to look at how difficult you're making it for yourself, to look at how much you're beating yourself up, to look at how much work you have to do on yourself to get to a place of even neutrality, not even like positive affirmations, yeah. just of neutrality. So once I get to that place, what I do is I just acknowledge it. So I don't bully the bully. I don't tell myself it's all going to work out. I tell myself, I just say, oh, well, that's interesting. That's, that's it. it. Mm -hmm. Or I'll say, oh, well, that just happened. And so it's the pattern interrupter for me. It just is like, if, if you're at a dinner party and somebody is like, blah, 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 like you know, talking, talking, talking about the asparagus and you just interrupt them and you're not saying like, can you shut up? You're not saying, I love asparagus. You're just saying like, well, that's interesting. Like it just is a, it's a pattern interrupter. That's all it is. And that's what has been super helpful for me and so many of my clients of just you're retraining your brain basically. So that's, that's obviously a muscle because you don't mm -hmm. attach to those thoughts and that's a powerful place to be. Is being unattached. Yeah. Because I call it the ultimate ass kicker. Like when we beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. You don't need one more thing to beat yourself up over. It's like, well, and, and you're going to go through whatever process you're going to go through. The one thing I want to add on to this, Matt, is like what I hear from people is like, I give them that exercise and then they run with it and they come back to me and they're like, okay, I noticed that I was beating myself up and I said my mantra or whatever. I did my pattern interrupter. And then I noticed 10 minutes later, I was beating myself up again. 
And I'm like, of course, because like, that's what you're used to. Like, this is like learning a new language. You don't go to your first day of Spanish class and learn, you know, Mayama Andrea, and then you can speak fluent Spanish for the rest of your life. Like, this is work that you have to keep doing. It is just, I don't mean to sound cliche, but it is just like going to the gym. You have to put the reps and sets in, in order to change the way that you think you have to. So people might stop because they don't get instant results, right? Like we're, a lot we're of people living, do. yeah, we're living in this on-demand world. What's your advice to not stop? And you could, you know, rebuttal and be like, well, if you want the result, don't stop. But yeah, I'm just curious, like, is there anything more to that? Because I've definitely been those, you know, in that group of people where it's like, you know, you want it now and it's not yeah. something that comes right now. So like when you don't see it over a week, you're like, oh, fuck it. You know, I'm done with yeah. that. I would have a lot of compassion and grace for that person, honestly. Like, so I was a personal trainer in my previous career and I was... I was just tough on my clients. And, and when I first got into coaching, like that was my superpower too. You know, I was, had the nickname of dominatrix. I just was, and it's what I'm really good at is what they call in coaching is calling forth. Mm -hmm. And I can do that really well, but it depends on the client and it depends on where they're at. And most of the time, what they actually need is grace and just saying like, you know what? This is fucking hard. This is probably one of the hardest measures of work that you're ever going to do. And I think. At the end of the day, like we just want to be seen and heard and acknowledged for where we're at. Like we don't want anyone to feel sorry for us and we don't necessarily want an out, but we do want just acknowledgement of how difficult it is or how far we've come or how hard we've worked. And then from there, I can give you the tough love and I can be the dominatrix and I can tell you like, okay, hey, now it's time to, to pick yourself up. Like I've given you a hug. Like the way I describe it is like, I like to hold people by the collar of their shirt with one hand and the other arm I'm like, wrapped around them and giving them a really warm, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm older now and I'm like more maternal, <laughs> but I just feel like you can't constantly kick your own ass or kick someone else's ass and expect to get amazing results every time. Like you have to mix it up and add compassion and grace and love and understanding all at the same time. I love that. I want to throw a curveball here. Yeah. I um, love those. What's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? What's a question I would wish more people would ask me? It depends. Like, you know, like what's the best and worst part of the traditional publishing industry? We can talk about that. <laughs> I don't like throwing people under the bus though. What is something that I wish more people would ask me? I think here's the thing about me is that I have always been the kid. I'm the youngest of five children. And I was always the one who felt something going on that wasn't being said and wanted to talk about it. Mm. And I kind of joke to my family that I'm making up for lost time, which they don't think is that funny. But I'm like, I want to talk about everything. I want to talk about your deepest, darkest secrets. I want to talk about my deepest, darkest secrets. Like I wish, I guess more people would ask me like at your lowest point, what was that like? Mm. Whether it was in 2007 or whether it was in 2020, someone asked me in an interview, how did you how did you get through 2020? Like, you know, and it was something like doing so great. And I'm like, I wasn't like, <laughs> I fell on my face in 2020, like mental health wise. I'm yeah. not afraid to talk about it. Like I wish more people would, especially people like us who have podcasts, who have platforms, who have people listening. Like it's not always easy for me. Like I can't show up and be a leader every single day. And so that's what I wish more people would ask. Like, tell us about your lowest moment in the last year. What is the lowest moment? In the last year? Let's see, what, where are we? November 2022. I think probably there's some people I want to protect their privacy. I'm like, can I tell that story? Yeah, no. Sure. Sometimes I really still 
truly miss my dad. Yeah. He died in 2016. And have you lost a parent or a family member yet? I've lost grandparents, but I have both of my parents. Okay. Um, yeah. So one thing that I didn't know that I wish someone would have told me I mean, when it came, especially to losing a parent or I think like a sibling, it's not really like their birthdays or, you know, like in my case, like Father's Day, like I braced myself when those days came and it didn't really, I woke up and I was like, no, I feel fine. It was when I, things that completely took me off guard. So my dad used to like hang out with, he was 80 when he died and he would like hang out with his old cronies and they always like to go out for coffee. And he and I would meet for coffee a lot. So I walked into a coffee shop and this has happened before. And there was a group of like four old timers, like sitting around at a Starbucks having coffee. Mm. And a couple of them were like dressed like my dad. Those are the moments that take me out like for the whole yeah. day. And I just, I wish that I could call him and like tell him about, and anytime the weather changes, my dad would use that as an excuse to call me and be like, there's the hurricane Ian is like, are you getting any of that? Like he would have called, he would have called multiple times, even though I'm in the middle of North Carolina, like we just got some rain. Like th those are the things that take me out. And I think that grief is, she's a beast. And it's one of those things that we don't have any control over and it can just like come back like a tornado and just knock you down. Yeah. And so that was probably a super low moment, like walking into a Starbucks, like going to get coffee for you know, me and my husband. I'm just like, whoa, like whiplash seeing these four old guys have coffee. Um, I saw on TikTok though, a guy who was talking about, he was probably your age and had lost his mom. And he, when he's at like a Starbucks and he sees a woman that's his mom's age, he offers to buy her coffee because he used to take his mom for coffee all the time. And it's something that he does. And so I've thought about doing that because sometimes I think about like, you know, just like kind of snuggling up to these old guys and be like, hi, that's <laughs> my dad. And you guys remind me of him. And But I'm like, that's don't do that. But I don't know. Maybe maybe I could and just like say hi. That might not be should. weird. I mean, if yeah. it if it helps. Right. We actually just put out an episode yesterday with John Edward, the psychic medium. And we, okay. talked, about, mm -hmm. we talked about grief. Like, have you ever thought about connecting through a psychic medium? And if that's not something you believe yes. in, I don't mean to. Affect. Honestly, though, I've been afraid to do do it. Okay. Yeah. I, it I think it depends on the relationship you had with that person. It's like my dad, you know, I told you like, I'm the one that wants to talk about everything. My dad had a really hard time with that. And he, even in his sobriety, like he barely scratched the surface of like the things that truly like were painful for him in his life. He was born in 1936. And he, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. the silent generation, they didn't exactly talk about their feelings. So I am a little nervous to have him come through because I know it's not, I don't know this. I worry that it's going to be incredibly emotional for me. And I just haven't been ready yet. I have a feeling or I worry. Like what if he doesn't want to come through? Yeah, I think, he, <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I'm not a psychic medium. I'm getting the chills just saying this, like the hair on my arm is standing up. Like, I feel like if you connected with him through that, I just feel like it would be what you wanted it when you were growing up. Thank you, Matt. I really, really mean that. Uh, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I know I only have you for a few more minutes. Let's talk about the book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. My first question about it is, if shit is the norm for someone, how uh -huh. do you know that you're in shit? Yeah. So the title is a bit tongue in cheek. And so this book originally came out, I wrote in 2016. So that was like before so many titles had <laughs> bad words in them. But I definitely 
want to say that it's, you know, for someone who truly feels like shit and that's sort of their baseline a lot, like you may want to go get checked out for clinical depression or chronic anxiety or something like that. But it really is meant for people who have tried their damnedest. And, you know, it's like they, they know that they engage in things like people pleasing, they have poor boundaries or they are perfectionists or they numb out either with work or the internet or booze and, or they're like hyper achievers. And I always say like that works until it doesn't, Mm. you know, like perfectionism and control allowed me to graduate with honors from college. Truly. (laughs) And that's not to say like, I wasn't also intelligent, but, but it, it works until it doesn't. And that's actually a saying from 12 step programs. And when you get to that point where it's just not working anymore, that feels like shit because you're like, okay, wait a minute. Why do I not feel good or great anymore? You know, like I'm a perfectionist. I bend over backwards and I'm a people pleaser. Like, why is this not working anymore? That's really what the book, the title is pointing to. I love that. Let's talk about control. I know that you mentioned you showed us the tattoo of surrender. Yeah. How do you surrender to the universe's plan and how do you find balance as to like where you should take control and where you should just let, you know, the universe take the wheel? Yeah, I think that's a question that I'm still trying to answer every mm-hmm. single day. I will what I do know now, and I can use my marriage as an, an example. So I now know, like if you're in a partnership with someone, especially if you're kind of like running a household, you know, like you have certain tasks that the person that you do, and then the other person has certain tasks. And then maybe sometimes you want to like even things out, or maybe the other person is going to take over a certain task that you normally do. And then you don't like how they're doing it. (laughs) And you have mentioned that before. And they're like, okay, that's fine, but I, I'm going to do it my way. And also it hurts me when you criticize me or when you Mm. try to tell me your way of doing it, like, I don't think your way of doing it is better. So it's moments like that. And it's almost like you have, you do this dance. Sometimes you're doing the dance with another person in terms of letting go. And maybe that's with your child um, or maybe that's with a parent. And, And then sometimes you're doing the dance with the universe and, you know, the whole manifestation conversation, I think is misunderstood by some because they think like, I'm just going to think it and then it's going to fall into my lap. It's like, well, no, you have to actually, you know, take inspired action and and things like that. And so sometimes it is really about if you're doing the dance, maybe with the universe, like sometimes you are doing the work of journaling or meditating and just kind of seeing what comes up and, you know, saying yes or no to those types of things. And I think that if multiple people, I'll just say this, I'll end with this. If multiple people are telling you that you're controlling and that they don't like it, you might want to listen to them. Mm. And I know that from experience. (laughs) I'm curious to learn, you know, you mentioned how like the default behavior of perfectionism and control led you to make achievements in your life. And I could sit Mm. here and say the same, and I'm really grateful for that. Is there any way to identify the healthy aspect of them and be able to like limit it? Yeah, I think that where sort of that defining line is, is like, are you pushing yourself further than you actually, that is actually healthy for you. And I think for many of us, we don't know what that line is until we get sick or until we blow up a relationship or until, you know, something happens that really shows us where either our body or our relationships tell us you can't keep behaving this way. You can't keep pushing yourself this way. There's a really great book out there by Emily and Amelia Nagoski called Burnout. Okay. And their research shows that we as humans need to be at rest 42% of the time, 42%. 
And like, I don't know about you, but I don't think I rest that much. Right. And I think especially when I was really hustling in my business and I had two small children, like this is what led to burnout, hence their book. But I think that I wish that we didn't have to learn this the hard way, but I think for most of us, we do. Like we need to know our limits. And and you know, it's like, there are some people I think that just have more, more stamina and endurance than others when it sure, comes yeah. to how much work and how many hours you can put in or how much sleep you actually need. One thing I wish want to tag on to that is like, stop comparing yourself to those people. Like that will be the death of you. Like I know some people that I started my business with around the same time. And then I had my burnout experience and I lost my dad and I had a mental health crisis in 2020. And I'm sort of watching those people like, like kind of run ahead of me and like gain distance. And then I'm beating myself up for it. And then I'm like, well, she's, you know, she's like five years older than me. Like, why can't I write two more books this year and yeah. do this X, Y, and Z? And then what I have to remind myself is like, I don't know what it's like to be her. She could be in massive of burnout and I have no idea. Like, I don't know what it's like for her or she just might have more stamina than I do and just more hustle in her heart. And you know what? That's fine for her. Great for her. I celebrate that. But I think learning how to not compare my my strengths and that type of thing with other people has been a hard lesson, but an enormous one. I have a client who shared something about comparison that really changed the game for me. She said, if you're going to compare yourself to what you admire about someone, you also mm -hmm. have to compare yourself and desire the things that you don't like or, you know, like, God forbid a person has cancer. Like you have to be able to take both. Yeah. And that really shifted things for me because it's like, you know what? I don't want that person's problems as much as I want to be able to hustle and bustle the way that person does. And that was a really, really big game changer. It was like a really big wake up call because I've got caught up in that where I'm comparing myself to people older than me. You more have to look at the whole picture. The whole picture. Mm -hmm. whole picture. Yeah. And I, I want to tag on to that. I think that's a really great lesson. And I'm glad that that, that was helpful for you is like the, don't compare your, like the beginning of your journey to someone's, to someone's yeah. end. I did a triathlon. I've done many of them. And, um, this last one that I did a couple of years ago, it must, it must've been just before the pandemic. I wasn't that excited about it. And the person that I was doing it with, she had, and I, it was only a sprint triathlon. Okay. They're the shortest distance. And she had done Olympic lengths. And that's like, anyway, she had a lot more experience and a lot more training than I did. So if, for those that aren't familiar with triathlons, you swim first, then you bike, and then you run. So when I was getting off my bike and starting my run, she was coming back from her run. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's only three miles, but I was so demoralized. <laughs> Oh my God. But the interesting thing about that too, is that the beginning of that run was uphill. And so for her, she was coming downhill. So she's running fast and I am struggling. I had just gotten off the bike. I could barely even run and I'm going uphill and she's going downhill. And she and I had a conversation about it. She's like, isn't it interesting that not only were you, you know, comparing the beginning of your race, you know, to the end of mine, but also you were literally running uphill and I was running downhill. Mm. It's like, it was very unfair. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a, it was a great metaphor. Yeah. I love that. If someone picks up this book, and they could only take one thing away from it, what would you want that one thing to be and why? Absolutely. Read the last chapter. It's all on values. And I think, you know, I went back and forth with my editor as to like, what should we put at the very beginning and what should we put at the very end? Because I know for a fact that a lot of people don't read the entirety of the book. And, but it just kind of made more sense to put it at the end, but it, 
because it all ties it all together. And knowing and understanding your values, like if you just do one thing in personal development, do that. And it's not just about professing them. Like I say in the book, you know, saying that you have a value around honesty, authenticity, and courage, and then calling that a day, you're like, okay, I did my values. That's just like naming your children and calling that parenting. Like That's not how it works. Like it's the day in and day out, um, how you handle situations, especially how you handle difficult situations. Like how do you handle things when shit hits the fan? Like what lights your way in the dark? Like tell me what it looks like. That's actually understanding your values and doing the work. That's what I want people to do. I love this. I don't want to let you go, but I'm going to have to in a couple minutes. I'm going to do some due diligence first. Websites, socials, where to get the book will be in the show notes. But do you have anything else we should let people know about that we could throw in there as well? Super easy. I'm at AndreaOwen.com. And then I'm at HeyAndreaOwen on all social channels. Don't follow me on Twitter. I'm not there very often, but I do love TikTok and, and Instagram as well. And the book will, you can find it on the, on the website. It's probably the, the cool. easiest place and Amazon and anywhere books are sold. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you one last question. You live to whatever year you want to live to. You write as many books, you hop on as many podcasts, but you could only be remembered for one piece of advice. Meaning if someone says your name, that piece of advice is attached to it. What would that piece of advice be? You're so good at interviewing Matt. I've never been asked this question either. Appreciate I think that because that's different from what do you want to be remembered for? Right. Yes, it is a okay. difference. And some people interpret that question that way. So I'm trying to ask it differently. Okay. So it's like, all right, I say Andrea Owen, like what piece of advice is attached to that? I think it goes back to what we were talking about, about a third of the way through our conversation and like that you, you truly only need a handful of seconds of blind courage to mm -hmm. walk into the scary thing to do the thing that you're afraid to do and and see what happens and i hope that someone that you love and trust is on the other end either to give you a hug or to high five you or to hand you a tissue if it doesn't work out because you need you need support in your corner as well i love that andrea i really appreciate this this was absolutely incredible thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it Thank you so much for having me. And I want to just like quickly express gratitude for the people that have been here with us for the last however long. I know An your hour, time yeah. is very valuable and I appreciate that you've chosen to spend it with Matt and myself. Awesome. You have just tuned into the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend, Andrea Owen. Now to connect with Andrea, all you have to do is scroll up to the show notes of this episode where you're going to be able to find her website, her socials, her books, all of that good stuff, links to all of it in the show notes of this episode. And once again, this was totally free to listen to, but if there was a fee, it would be to make sure that you're sharing this because now you have the opportunity to make an impact in someone's life. You're clearly impacted by this. Otherwise, you would have stopped listening to this long ago. So make sure that you're doing the same thing by impacting someone else simply by sharing this episode. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.